Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is The Athletic Hockey Show. We're back with a Thursday edition of The Athletic Hockey Show. It's Ian Mendes, Sean McAdoo with you. And uh, we got a lot to get to. Jesse Granger going to drop by for Granger Things. Got some fun mailbag questions. We'll talk GM meetings and some of the fallout there. Trade rumors, Royal Cup of Hockey on the shelf. Um, we're going to talk about uh, Sean, your piece this week on Connor Bedard. But I got to start with this. I, I want to ask you, Matt Murray plays well in Pittsburgh. Welcome to the Matt Murray ride. Yeah. Okay? This is what I told you would happen. <laughs> we He's going to look good for you, and you're going to be yeah. like, I can see it. He looked good. He looked good, yeah. and he looked healthy, uh, which which is really more the uh, uh, the important thing right now. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're right. It's nobody I I can't imagine is uh, throwing any parades based on one game, but uh, it, it, that's what you want to see when you know when he came back when he first got hurt. Uh, you know, I know a lot of fans especially since he wasn't great in that first game in Montreal or kind of like, ah, you know, here we go. It's already, we can, we can already get the verdict in. It's, it, you know, the deal was a mistake. They, and I still don't like that trade. I still really think that they, uh, uh, that was a questionable move, but it, all, all Matt Murray can do is change my mind one game at a time. And he, he looked good in Pittsburgh. First time back in Pittsburgh. I, I think first time playing in Pittsburgh, uh, he had been back, if I understand it right, with Ottawa, but hadn't yeah, played. He, he, he like waved to the crowd yeah. or whatever. So they did like their little video welcome back that every player gets uh, these days. And uh, um, that, uh, you know, that was already done. Yeah, good, good game by him and good game by the Leafs, especially in Pittsburgh, because that's been like there's this weird history of the Leafs whenever they're struggling. And, you know, they haven't really been been struggling the last uh, couple of weeks. But whenever things are teetering, they go into Pittsburgh and they get blown out. And that ends up being the uh, the game that said they, it happened way back in the Fletcher era. And that that was what spurred him to make the Doug Gilmore trade. And then the last couple of years, there have been a couple where they've they've lost seven to one and everybody's just panicking and thinking this is terrible so good sign maybe maybe matt murray's the uh you know the guy who's gonna reverse the trend yeah, or maybe he's gonna get shelled in his next game and and we'll pr- forget this conversation ever happened well you know what so here's what i want to know from you um 
Because sometimes goalies can take you on a wild ride. It's feast or famine. They're great. Mm -hmm. The guy I always think about is Roman Czechmanic in Philly. Like, I think Czechmanic back in the day, that was the greatest ride ever for, like, you want to talk about highs and lows. Uh, I, I think every fan base has the one goalie in their history that they had to, like, buck, strap yourself in. It's going to be a while. You don't know what you're going to get. It's either going to be a shutout or it's five goals. Like, for Ottawa, for me, it was Ray Emery. Ray was yeah. so um, fascinating to watch from so many perspectives, but it was like he was either dialed in or he was like, so who's the guy in Leaf history for you? Like the goalie that you feel like, man, and maybe it's going to end up being Matt Murray. Yeah. Who is the guy like that you're like, man, this is a wild ride. And I, I don't yeah. know. Like Reimer or no? You, you know, Reimer got a bad rap. Um for a couple of reasons, obviously the Boston collapse and, and Randy Carlisle didn't seem to like him and would kind of throw him under the bus. He wasn't a bad one. Um, ah, man, I mean, so many other Leaf goalies from the cap era have just been, uh, you've had the lows, but not the highs. Uh, they had some good ones, obviously the, the Felix Potvin, Curtis Joseph, Ed Belfour uh, sort of era. I, you know, if I, if I don't go back to the eighties, because you Ken Reggett and Alan Bester were both those guys. Absolutely. Every night you just it was gonna you were gonna give up eight goals or it was gonna be a 60 safe shutout. It was fantastic. Uh, I think the guy I would have to say is Jack Campbell. Uh and and Campbell was a little bit different because he would go in, in stretches. Like it wasn't one game to the next, but I mean you didn't know you'd you'd look at the calendar and it'd be a new month and you'd be like, all right, what well, are we getting are we getting good Jack or bad Jack this month? Because um, and, and you saw it last year. I mean, he was phenomenal uh, for the first, you know, most of the first half of the season, and then not good down the stretch. And then in the playoffs, you're just sort of holding your breath a little bit with Freddie Anderson too, especially in the playoffs. You never knew what you were going to get. But uh, I'd, I'd say Jack's probably the guy. You know what? Penguins fans are screaming at their uh, at their speaker right now, saying Flurry, Mark Andre Flurry yes. in Pittsburgh. Yep. Yeah, that that's that's another good one. I mean, it it feels like every team has a guy. And look, goalies are inconsistent. We say this with with scores all the time, right? You're like, well, he's streaky, and it's like, well, yeah, of course he's streaky. That's how that's yeah. how sports works. But uh, yeah, I know. I love I love Chechmanic as the pick because that was a guy that he he and and Patrick Laleem are the two guys that stand out oh. to me. Where if you just go based on reputation or your own memory, you know, you're like, oh, those guys stunk, and then you look at their numbers. And you're like, holy smokes, these guys put up fantastic numbers. I mean, Laleem was the guy that I've, I've used this stat before. I, I think to this day, I is he number one all time in like goals against average in the playoffs or something for like, it's uh, he, it's amazing. Uh, he, you know, of goalies that have played 40 playoff games, uh, he was up there for highest uh, uh, or like, sorry. Yeah. Highest save percentage, lowest goals mm -hmm. against average. He was. Yeah. I don't know. I think at one point it was like from from like the post original six era. So take out the early days where there was there was no scoring. I think at one point and, and probably still the case, Patrick Gulliam had the lowest goals against average in the playoffs, which is amazing because that like you say, Patrick Gulliam, what do you think? Playoff choker because he had one bad game. He had one yep. bad game against the Leafs, and it was a game seven. It was it was a bad game and everything, but like that stuck to him. And yet, shutting out the Flyers three times in one playoff series, like just just gets forgotten. So I don't know. It's a tough job. Don't let your kids grow up to be goalies. No, exactly. Uh, in fact, we're gonna. You know, speaking of tough stuff with goalies, I want to talk to Granger when he drops by. Did you see the photo he posted? He took a puck in the neck in a oh, men's no. league game. Okay, no, I so didn't go see back. That. 
Just look at his uh, Twitter feed. Just look at his media okay. that he's posted. He took a puck right in the neck. Oh, boy. Yeah. So that did That's, uh, yeah. So is he, wait, is he going to have like the Dave Manson voice when we talk to him? Like, what's. Ooh. Yeah, I don't know. We should be prepared for that. Uh, he's got such a, he's got one of the best podcast voices out there. You know, he's like one of those guys that you're like, this guy, he, like, does he smoke like six packs of cigarettes a day? <laughs> like, it's just the best radio. But maybe it's because I didn't, we did I didn't him. realize that's how you got a good radio podcast voice. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. Good, good, yeah, exactly. good to know. I, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'm, I'm a professional. I got to do what I got to exactly. do, but oh, okay. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, so Granger, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to him about that. I want to talk a little bit about your column this week. And uh, you wrote about the Connor Bedard sweepstakes, which at the start of the year, we were like, okay, it's going to be Arizona, Chicago, maybe the Habs in Philly. And here we are. It's, uh, you know, we're reaching U.S. Thanksgiving, which is kind of a natural time to look at, um, you know, where teams are and who might be, as, as your, your headline read here, I'm just double checking. The headline is, which bad team is best positioned to fail hard for Connor Bedard? Um, yeah. And so- the, head, the headline writers made me put the first name in there, by the way. I said fail hard for Bedard. It doesn't work as well if you if you put the Connor in there. But I guess the, the style writers. guide style yeah. guide got me on that one. Uh, but look, uh, you used a very scientific, let's walk the listeners through. <laughs> The scientific method. Yeah. This is a foolproof, uh, you know, uh, method, a, a formula, really. That yeah. when Not you just add my up opinion. all the, you just add up all the numbers, and it just there's, you know, Dom would be proud of this mm-hmm. this type of analytical uh, research here. Got to You got to have a model, and and this is, and, and to be clear, like I talk about, this is something I plan to do a couple times during the year, just because the it, it, next year's draft is so loaded at the top that I think we got to uh, monitor this as we go. And it, yeah, it's, it's which team is in best position to tank? And I'll do the usual caveat. Uh, we all understand players don't tank. Uh, coaches, for the most part, don't tank unless they've got an enormous amount of job security. When, when I'm, I'm talking about the organization. I'm talking about management saying, it's time to pull the shoot. It's time to move some guys. It's time to accept, if you don't like the word tank, it's time to accept, uh, you know, that that we're going to lose. It's time to focus on the future. Whatever, whatever uh, term you want to put on it, it's tanking, um, and it's a valid strategy in the NHL. The way that things are set up, and so I look at four things. Uh, number one, most obvious is is what what kind of season are they having so far? Obviously, if if you're already losing, that's great. If you're if you're winning more than expected, it's it's just like chasing a playoff spot. Those five or six points difference in October can make the difference at the at the end of April. So I you know I want to know how the team's doing right now. Uh, I look at what I call seller potential, which is the, the the best thing to do when you're tanking is you trade players who are good right now for future assets. Uh, because then then you you get two things. You get those picks and prospects, which is great for your rebuild, and you get worse right away. And uh, if you can do that, uh, so I'm looking for guys that are maybe on potential rentals, short-term contracts, tradable guys where you could say, hey, I could imagine this team trading this guy and then they get worse. Um, I have a whole category just for goaltending. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, if your goaltending stinks, your team's going to stink. And if your goaltending is uh, potentially good, no matter how how much you strip down the rest of the roster, that one good goaltender can drag you uh, out of last place, which is not what you want when you're tanking. And then the last one, which is probably the most important one, uh, I, I just call it motivation. Is this team willing to do what needs to be done? 
Is this a team where does the fan base, the media, like are are they on board with this or do they want to kind of see it out and see what the team can do? And and the ownership is crucial here. Would the owners accept a tank? Are they are they willing to get on board? And and I think the GM is very important here too. How safe is his job? Uh, you don't want as a GM to be sitting there going, yeah, I could tank, I could drive this this into the ditch, and we could finish last and get the first overall pick, and it's going to be some other GM drafting Connor Bedard because I'm going to get fired if my, this team finishes last. So you got to really have the the belief and security that I'm going to be okay. I I'm I've got the permission from everyone around me. Uh, to do what needs to be done. So I take those four things, I add them up. Like you said, it's completely scientific. So if you know, if you want to argue with how I ranked everyone, you're arguing with the math. So we end up with uh, with Anaheim. You yeah. know, and I, I got to be honest with you, as a hockey fan, closing my eyes and imagine, imagining Connor Bedard and Trevor Zegras on the yeah. same team, and the and the the potential for talent and. You know, highlights Mason McTavish lurking and Mason around, McTavish, and, you know, Troy and, uh, Terry just out. Oh, yep. And uh, uh, Jamie Drysdale, and um, you know, I got to tell you that that seems tantalizing to me. But that's who, when you added up the numbers, it was it was Anaheim. I, would, I was a little surprised. Ahead of Columbus, I guess, right? I was a little bit surprised at that because you know, you that Anaheim wasn't a team that we talked a ton about heading into the season because you know, look. Again, let's be honest, Chicago and Arizona were both pretty transparent about what they were doing. It was pretty obvious that both of those teams were trying to get as bad as they could. And again, I'm saying this without judgment. You know, I know a lot of people can't stand the idea that the tanking is a thing. Other people just accept it, even embrace it. It, it. it is what it is. Chicago and Arizona both went into this season with every intention of uh, being as bad as possible and, and getting those those high picks. And I wasn't really in that boat Certainly a rebuilding team, but, you know, remember this was a team that was, they, they were in first place in their division halfway through last year. So you kind of thought, you know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe they're going to, they're going to be the team that like LA uh, last year takes that leap into the playoffs. Hasn't happened at all. So, uh, you know, again, looking at the four categories, season so far, 10 out of 10, they've been terrible. They're dead last in the, in the entire league. As far as being sellers, they've got John Klingberg. But that's about it. Pat Verbeek, remember, moved a bunch of guys at the deadline last year. So there's they're they're already mostly stripped down. But Klingberg is you know could could certainly be a good piece. The goaltending has not been good. John Gibson is has the numbers are awful. And you know at this point, I know every year we we do this whole like can John Gibson find it again? Is he going to get back to being that Vezina guy? I, I feel like we can put that to bed at this point. And John Gibson is who he is. He's got the contract that he has, but. But they they are not strong in goal. I, I don't think there's any concerns. If you're a Ducks fan and you're already dreaming of Connor Bedard, you're not too worried about John Gibson yanking it away from you. And then you look at the motivation, and I think it's it, it's a great situation. Pat Verbeek is a new GM. He came in last year in the middle of the season. This is his first full year. He's got time on his side. So for him to say, you know what? Yeah, we're going to finish dead last if we can. And we're going to get a, a superstar prospect to build around. I think it makes perfect sense. I, I, you know, I think you'd have the support of the, the, the fan base, the management and everything. I think it's all lining up well. I, again, you'd like it if they could strip down the roster a little bit more uh, and get a little bit worse because they're, they're facing a lot of competition. Columbus is right there with them in the standings and, and other teams will join them. But right now, I think Anaheim's in a pretty good spot. And like you said, it would be a fascinating destination for one of those uh, stars at the top of the draft. You know, you, you mentioned Pat Verbeek. 
pretty new on the job in the state of California, but he's not the newest GM in that state. That, that title belongs to Mike Greer. And Greer, Sean, was kind of the headline maker coming out of the GM meetings. Uh, Pierre Dorian certainly was, was, was loud saying, look, I, I'm trying to make a trade. I'm active. And then Mike Greer says, hey, I'm listening on everybody, including Eric Carlson. And now people are putting the two things together. Uh, full credit to Elliot Friedman, 32 Thoughts podcast this week with Merrick. Uh, Elliot Friedman says uh, he believes that there have been some discussions between those uh, two teams. I talked about this last week, you and I, and I said, look, I believe Eric Carlson would be open to coming back to Ottawa. I do believe that. Um, but here's my question. I, I, it got me thinking during the week. I thought, okay, Carlson won a pair of Norris trophies in Ottawa in his absolute prime. 2012 and, uh, and 2015 was so good in that playoff run in 2017 on one foot. Um, here's my question. Sean, has a major trophy winner, like, so I'm talking somebody who's won like a Vesna, Norris, Hart, ever gone away and come back and still kind of like been in the prime of their career? Not like a, hey, I'm joining you at the end for a farewell tour or a mm -hmm. one-day contract. And I don't want to hear about Wendell Clark coming back to Toronto when he was only 30, because I think that's how old he was, because um, he never really won a major award. Uh, well, then I guess we're not doing this segment because yeah. that was that was all I had that was, was all the went all the various Wendell Clark returns to Toronto was yeah. were were all the ones on my list. Yeah. So what what do we got here? Like, has yeah, this he, ever happened that a guy came back to his original team? Like like Carlson's thirty, so he's yeah. kind and he's having an unbelievable season. So I think we can kind of say he's still kind of in the window of his prime. Is this like has this ever yeah. happened? I, I don't I I don't know that anything exactly like this has happened. You're right. There have been a bunch of guys who've come back. At the end of their careers, like Peter Forsberg goes back to Colorado. We're, we're not counting that. He didn't, uh, you know, he wasn't able to do much. Um, and other guys like that. Uh, Mark Messier, another one where he, he you know, I, he was not in, in, even though he played for years to come, he, when he went back to the Rangers, he wasn't the same player. I, I'm going to give you a, a few guys. Uh, I'll give you one at each position group. Um, in, in goal, Goal is a tough one. I, I, you could make a case that when Dominic Hasek went back to Detroit for his second stint, that he was still in his version of his prime because uh, he was still very good at that time. In fact, the first year back in Detroit, he he got heart votes that year. I mean, he he got Vezina votes, but he was in his forties. So I mean, this this isn't uh, this isn't the same sort of thing. But you know, he had that stopover in Ottawa. Goes back to Detroit. Maybe account that. Um, Bernie Perron was in Philadelphia, left, and then came back um, in his prime. But that was he hadn't won the Vezinas yet, so uh, he 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 really leveled up into the Hall of Fame version of Bernie Perron in that second tour of duty in Philadelphia. So I don't think that works. Uh, I'll give you a couple guys who who do work, I think, a little bit. And up front, one of them is uh, a guy who who never won a heart. But was certainly in that conversation. Is certainly like a, a, an elite tier uh, star in this league, and that's Timo Solani. Uh, when he uh, he has his his first stint uh, with Anaheim, he's he's a Hart Trophy finalist one year. Goes off to San Jose, has a stopover in Colorado, and then he comes back to Anaheim. Now he's in his mid thirties by this point, but he has some fantastic seasons. He he racks up another. He he uh, has a. 40 goal season, a 48 goal season. Like he's, he's still, uh, very much, uh, prime Timo Solani at that point. 
that maybe would be the best one I could come up with for a forward. And then on on defense, the closest I can find is uh, Rob Blake. He wins a Norris in L.A., goes to Colorado, and then he comes back to L.A. And again, he's in his late 30s by this point, so this is not really comparable. But he has two very good seasons with the Kings. Like He, he is still playing, again, not at that Norris level. But he's he's playing very uh, you know very good very dependable star level hockey still at that point even his late thirty so that's the closest I can come I can't find anyone who at the age of thirty you know certainly in the middle of having another uh, award caliber season gets moved to an old team I, I think that would be pretty close to unprecedented other than yeah. Wendell Clark. Yeah, other than Wendell Clark. And know, by the way, can I can I just say one thing on the on the Mike Greer? Yeah. Kudos to him because that's the answer that he gave, and I know it raised a few eyebrows, and you know, some people are, you know, is this is this gonna disrupt or whatever. That's exactly the right answer. For a GM of especially of a team like this, I can't stand it. And people know this. When GMs start making everyone untouchable and they start, you know, well, we're not calling, but we will listen, and you know, all of this stuff. No, that's the exact right answer for for Mike Greer as a new GM on a team that's struggling to say, yeah, I'm I'm listening on everyone. You know, is he working the phones trying to trade Eric Carlson? No, he's probably not. But for him to put the message out there that you want to make an offer, give me a call. I'll listen to the offer. That's his job. And GMs are so quick to write it off. And and I think part of it is they they just they seem to think that the players, these these tough Toughest athletes in the world are so fragile that they just fall apart if their name is out there in trade rumors. Kudos to Mike Greer. He gave exactly the right answer. Um, that's exactly what I want to hear if I'm a Sharks fan. I don't want to hear him closing any doors. I want to hear, hear him say, hey, my phone's here. You guys got my number. Let's uh, let's talk and let's see if something makes sense. Yeah, and I've always been a believer, as long as you're communicating with the player and his camp and being transparent. Obviously, you saw it play out with Dadnov last year, the exact opposite, right? Well, when, yeah. Yeah. When, when you keep a player and the agent in the dark, uh, there's mistrust. And if, if, if Greer has been transparent with Eric Carlson and his agent, Craig Oster, uh, then, then we got no problems. He can, he can yeah, pretty much what say whatever can. he and, wants. And, you know, at the end of the day, like, yes, it's great to keep, keep in touch, but it's, you know, that, and in this case, obviously Eric Carlson, he's got the big contract and he's got a no, no trade clause as well. We should mention that. So, I mean, you're not doing anything without, the, without his okay. So you do have to navigate that situation. But I, I do find it interesting. Like, I, I, I'm assuming you read uh, Julian's piece about the uh, the Matthew Kachuk. Oh, where the, uh, uh, Julian McKenzie, if people haven't read it, check yeah, it out. He's got a, like an oral history. Basically, he talked to all the key stakeholders in the Matthew Kachuk, uh, Jonathan Huberto, et cetera, blockbuster that went down. And, and you know, one of the fascinating things is it, the deal basically getting done and only then do Huberto and Mackenzie Weger and these guys find out about it? And, you know, they're getting called late on a Friday night because this news is is breaking. Um, and it was, you know, they, they're sort of blindsided by it, which on a human level, you you sit there and go, yeah, I mean, imagine that. Most of us cannot imagine getting a call at 11 o'clock on a Friday saying, pack up your stuff. You live in a new country now um, and and you've got you've got no choice but to go. It's tough on them. But, you know, that that's a case where, that's a GM doing his job, Brad Treliving. Like he was in a bad situation, he had to do what he had to do, and he went. Uh, he went and made a move, and then had to make a couple of awkward phone calls afterwards. Yeah, no, it's a great piece by Julian, and uh, you know, usually you see those types of stories come out 
you know, five, 10 years after a big trade, uh, you know, to have this happen, you know, basically a couple of months after the block. Yeah. Great work by Julian. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Check it out. If you haven't, uh, the kind of oral history of that, uh, uh, Florida, Calgary blockbuster. One other thing I want to touch on Sean from the GM meetings. Now the GM meetings that they hold in November are kind of the, it's like the appetizer for the main course. The main course is the one that comes in March in, uh, I think they do it in Palm beach or Pebble beach. They, they go somewhere warm. Okay. They don't do, they don't, they don't make their big decisions in Toronto in November. They're like, we need to go somewhere warm, uh, and make those decisions. So that happens in March after the trade deadline. And, but sometimes, you know, what happens in November is they, they kind of like, let, let's spitball. Let's talk about some things. Let's see if there's, we have some common issues. Now, the one thing I want to talk about is according to the reporters that were there, uh, one general manager, uh, who was in Toronto suggested, what if we add video review for puck over glass? Yeah. Uh, I, I just want to just talk this out real quick. Video review. Puck over glass, good, bad, indifferent. I, I'm going to give you an answer that might surprise people because I, it, I have been banging the drum for years against video review in the NHL. Not because I'm some old timer, not because I like the human element of mistakes. I just don't think it works. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it, it takes too long. It sucks the excitement out of the game. We're taking goals off the board on, on little nitpicky things. Offside review is a, is a disaster. Um, goaltender interference is not much better. So uh, it, it might surprise you a little bit to say, I don't, I, I, I could see myself being okay with this. I could see this working. And here's the reason I, I can't stand the puck over glass penalty. I've been railing against it for years, but every time I do, somebody comes up and says, no, 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 you know, here's, here's why it's so great. It's black and white. It's just, there's no, there's <laughs> yeah. no subjectivity. Yeah. It's just black. It, it's, it's an easy call. We're always arguing over, you know, tripping and holding and every other penalty in the entire rule book is subjective, but this one is objective. And yet every time I see it called the puck, not every time, but so often you see the puck over the glass and then what happens? The officials all huddle together and they yeah. start triangulating exit angles. Well, was that, oh, was it over the glass there or was it over the bench? Did it take off the glass? And they had this like five minute conference and everyone's just standing around. And at this point, this might be the only thing in the entire NHL where video review would make things faster. Like just get the, th I mean, we have yeah. seen literally, we have seen cases where they're huddled up and they're just, you know, talking and talking and talking. And then finally, like they play the replay on the scoreboard and you can see like one of the officials kind of looking up and, you know, go, oh, okay. And then they go and, and make the call that way. There is a part of me that just says, you know what, have have somebody who can just take a look at it and go, yeah, it, you know what, it, it, it did go off a stick, it didn't, whatever it is, do that quick review that way and speed it up because it's so ridiculous that all four of these guys are standing around. Half the time they still get it wrong and half the time even the replay doesn't tell you because this rule, it's a bad rule, uh, but if we have to have this bad, stupid rule uh, in place, you know, this might be one of the few things where I'm like, yeah, actually, I do want us to get it right and, and get it right quicker rather than having like four dudes just stand around and argue with each other over whether a puck was a fraction of an inch one direction or the other. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. All right, time for us to uh, bring in our pal Jesse Granger, brought to you by BetMGM, the exclusive uh, betting partner with The Athletic. We like to call this uh, segment Granger Things. I know, Jesse, you spoke about this on the Wednesday edition of the pod, so we won't double down on it too much, but you took a puck in the neck in a men's league game a few days ago, showed the the uh, the, the, the battle scar on, uh, on Twitter. It looks a lot better now. You got the video going, so that's the good news. Uh, Sean and I were really worried about your golden windpipes that are just tailor-made for podcasting that they would be affected but clearly uh as listeners about to find out um that's not the case here's what i want to know though when you have an injury like this do you go up to like a logan thompson or you know a fellow goalies are you kind of like hey man and you just kind of roll up to a scrum and just kind of show your neck off and be like hey we're uh we're part of the same team here you showing that off in the dressing room I did not. Uh, if I mean, it was pretty like right now, as you can see, it's not as uh, visible, but it was pretty visible the day uh, after when I went to practice. If someone would have asked me about it, I would have told them. But no, I was not. Uh, I was I wasn't walking around looking for street cred in the locker room. Uh, <laughs> but Mark Stone did have to leave a shift after getting hit like in the hip with a puck. And I'm like, come on, Mark. Like, come on. Like, <laughs> there you go. Took one in the neck and I finished the game. Jesse Granger calling out Mark Stone. That's, this is the good stuff. I like it. <laughs> I love it. But hey, you, listen, you're, it's, it's good to see that you're okay. That Was that the worst injury you've ever had in a, a, no, as a goalie? Definitely not the worst injury. That's, def, that's the worst puck that's ever gotten through. So like anyone that plays goalie knows that you've got $3,000 worth of gear on. It looks like you are wearing a suit of armor, but that puck will find holes in that padding. Like I, I have bruises on my arms, on my legs, on my like ribs, but that's the worst time. That's the worst puck that's ever gotten through. I've never, I, I wear a plastic dangler and a throat guard. Like I honestly didn't think it was possible to, to get hit in the neck. That was the worst uh, puck that's ever hit me. Worst injury I ever had was I went into the butterfly. My knee missed the landing pad on the, on the inside of the pad and just let, hit the ice. And my kneecap spun around to the back of my knee. Um, oh dis- yeah, you dislocated told oh, yeah. my kneecap. It was pretty brutal. I couldn't play for like months. Um, whereas like this neck thing, I'll be playing in a couple days. So definitely not the worst injury, but the worst time I've been hit with a puck for sure. But but okay, you're you're a lot younger than Sean. How old are you? Thirty two. Thirty two. So like, do you have an age in your mind where you're like, I'm too old for this shit? Like I'm done. Like I because I've I've reached that point. I talk about this all the yeah. time. Like if I'm playing a game of pickup softball. Or some, I'm not diving. I've reached the point in my life. I'm, I'm just gonna let the. I'm just gonna let the pop fly drop. Like I've reached that point in my life. What, what, like, what's the cutoff for a goalie? Do you think to yourself, "I'll do this till I'm 40, and then I'll I'll let it go"? Yeah, you know what? I am. I honestly don't know. There are goalies that I like see around the rink 
that are like in their 50s, early 60s that are out there. And they're not moving great. They, when the puck comes in the offensive zone, they're down in the butterfly. They're going to stay down on their knees until the puck leaves the zone. Um, just trying not to let any s- sneakers in. But I don't know. Most of those guys are guys that started playing hockey when they were like in their 30s. Um, the guys that are playing like that old. Uh, I've been playing goalie since I was like five. It's hard on the hips. It's hard on the knees. I think there will probably reach a point where I can't play goalie anymore. Just because it's like you mentioned, like you don't want to dive for the pop fly like goalie. You can't really just like go around and like take it easy. Like you're jumping down, you're you're flying all over the place. You're getting pucks shot at you. I think at some point I will have to play out and just chill. But uh, for the moment, that's the goalie retirement home, right? Where you move out to, which I'm sure the forwards love that you guys view that as like we saw it at the the Hall of Fame game, right? Where Longo is playing out and. I remember going to a, uh, when I was, one of my first hockey memories as a little kid going to some exhibition game and like Mike Palmatier was going to be there. And I was like, this is great. And I'm looking at both the goalies going, that's not Mike. Bay. And then I see this guy skating around as, as a forward scoring yep. goal. So yeah, that's, that's always good. And I just want to say for the record, I'm trying very hard to, you know, we're in the holiday season to, to be, uh, to, you know, to be good. When you were talking about 50 and 60 year olds who could, you know, stand down on one day, I didn't make any Mark Andre Fleury jokes. I didn't, <laughs> I, I just want to note that for you, Minnesota Wild fans. I stayed, I stayed out of it. Um, I didn't say a word. Look at that. He makes the joke without making the joke. That's, that's what you call pro level uh, stuff. Season right podcast. Yep. Uh, hey, we're going to actually stick on the theme of goalies this week, uh, Jesse, for uh, the Granger Things uh, segment as we look at. Uh, the Vets and the Trophy Odds. And we're hitting the kind of the 20-game mark or close to the 20-game mark for a lot of teams. And so uh, this is, I said to Sean earlier, a natural time to kind of look at the standings and, and, and awards. And Sean does want to know where Matt Murray is. Okay? I do On not. the Vets Odds. He does. After the conversation earlier, he's like, where? give me some. It's, it's like when Sean said at the start of the year, put the money on McDavid to win the Rocket that, Richard. He said it. Now that's looking smart. Now he's telling people, you know, buy low on Matt Murray. Yeah, I mean, there's Matt no Murray. There's no clip you can play where I'm saying that. He's 80 to 1. He's 80 to 1 right now. Uh, hmm. Funny enough, funny enough, okay. same odds as Jack Campbell to win the Vezina Trophy, which Oof. I think would surprise some people. Uh, Campbell hasn't been great, but I think the expectations for him are a little higher uh, to bounce back than Murray. I don't know. Maybe I'm just down on Murray, but yeah, 80 to 1 for Matt Murray right now. Um, the guy that like the the reason I I wanted to talk about this topic I guess is I was just kind of looking through the odds on all these awards and and the, the the cup odds and something that really stood out to me is to me like I I like obviously I'm a goalie I like watching the goalies every night when I'm watching the games I'm most of the time looking at what games are on watching the goalie I want to watch the most and to me the best goalie in the league this year has been Connor Hellebuck um, mm-hmm. on a nightly basis like he has been phenomenal the stats back it up he's top two in goals saved above average and goals saved above expected he's got a 935 save percentage which is ridiculous considering Winnipeg is not good defensively like they're I think they're 25th ranked defensively but they've allowed the third fewest goals at even strength like all the numbers back it up when you watch the games Connor Hellebuck's the best player on the ice pretty much every game in Winnipeg and he is carrying that team uh, they're like in playoff position right now basically in my opinion, solely because of Connor Hellebuck. I expected him to be the runaway favorite um, in the Vezina odds, and he's not. He's fifth in the odds right now. He's behind Shesterkin, Ottinger, Sorokin, and Vasilevsky at 14 to 1. So you're not getting crazy odds. You're not getting 30 to 1 or something. But to me, 14 to 1, and he's the fifth best odds in the league for a guy who 
to this point now, can he hold up behind a bad defense? Usually Vezina winners don't play behind bad defenses. They're they're a guy yeah. who's a good goalie who plays behind a really good team and racks up a bunch of wins. Got to have the wins. That's it's it's the GMs who vote on it. Remember, right. and these guys yeah. just they want the wins. I, there has been a shift lately, though. Like when yeah. you look at the last few Vezina winners, like I used to be, I used to trust me. I was that I complained about that every single year. Can we give it to the best goalie, not the goalie on the best team? Lately, they have kind of been shifting, and they've been giving a little more credit to the goalies who are carrying teams. And to me, no goalie in the league is carrying his team more than Connor Hellebuck right now. Yeah, he, he might be a guy that's that, uh, similar to Shesterkin last year. We, at some point, start saying, does there need to be some Hart Trophy consideration for a guy like that? And, and I will say this, he I don't know if that team's going to necessarily win a ton, but the other thing that GMs have traditionally liked for a Vezina winner, and, and this has also shifted a little bit in the last year, but they like the workhorse guy. Yep. And that ties into the wins, right? Because I mean, even if you're if you're starting sixty five games, you're going to get a lot of wins. And and I don't think Dave Riddich, uh, with all due respect, is going to be uh, stealing a ton of time from Connor Hellebuck. So that uh, fourteen to one, that that would uh, that would pique my interest. You know, a guy I'm really speaking of piquing the interest would be Linus Allmark in Boston. And you know, Jesse. When you look at his, and I'm just, I'm just double checking here. Yeah, he's eleven. He's eleven and one, a sub two goals against average, a nine thirty six save percentage. And so you look at that, and you're like, wow. Statistically speaking, Linus Allmark has been dynamite. Uh, if if somebody wanted to get in on on that, because I would imagine at the start of the year, he's he's not in the top twenty. Uh, he's not in the top twenty five, but he he might have wormed his way into that conversation. So where what are the numbers saying, or the odds on on Linus Allmark? Yeah, they they've this, the odds have definitely adjusted pretty big in in that he's right behind Hellebuck's uh, with the sixth best odds at fifteen to one. So essentially, right there with Hellebuck, he's he's almost the opposite of Hellebuck, right? Like he hasn't carried his team every night. He's the team in front of him has been excellent, but that's not it's not you still have to make the saves. Like it's it's what he's doing is not easy, and to go eleven and one, no matter who's in front of you, and and he's putting up some impressive numbers. I've liked Olmark a lot. To me. If I like like Sean was saying with Hellebuck, he is a horse like they're going to play him 65, 70 games this year. Like that's just what he does. Allmark, I would be worried that because Boston is so good and because it was kind of that tandem going into the year between he and Swayman, like we weren't even sure if Allmark would get the majority of the games. Um, I think he was the favorite to get the majority of the games, but it was kind of a toss up. I could see a situation where. Olmark has a bad five, six game stretch and they go back to a like 50, 50 platoon in Boston or Swayman starts playing well and they ride that hot hand. That would be to me, like if I was betting that I would be more concerned that that happens than I would Boston falling off the earth and, and, and Olmark's numbers going way down. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's a guy who probably wasn't even on the board to start the year. I mean, you're talking, like you said, probably not in the top 20. Um, but he's up there now. Another guy who is is kind of he's not quite crept up that high, but was probably nowhere near anyone's consideration is Carter Hart has mm-hmm. been playing his butt off in Philadelphia. I mean, he leads the NHL in goals saved above expected behind a defense that hasn't been that great. Kind of like I was saying with Hellebuck. Um, not only that, but like he's got 14.2 goals saved above expected right now. The next closest is Hellebuck with 10.5. So we're talking he's almost got 50% more goals saved above expected than the second best goalie in the league. I don't know how uh, sustainable that is. I, I think Carter Hart is on a heater right now. But if you if you think he can sustain it, he's 20 to 1. I mean, he's way down there. So can, can I, 
Can I ask you about a few more guys? Yeah. And, and one of them, this will continue the theme of guys that were not on the radar, I, I don't think at all. But uh, your guy there in Vegas, Logan Thompson, he's playing fantastic. He has. It's cooled off a little bit lately. I mean, early in the year, he was like top three in basically every stat. Um, the defense has been phenomenal. Bruce Cassidy, when he came in here, he said, I run a goalie-friendly goalie system, and I have seen it firsthand. All the shots are coming from the outside. He makes the goalie's job very easy. Logan Thompson's played really well. He is... Uh, he's 33 to one right now. Um, and that to me, that's kind of the same. I would have the same concern with him as I do with Olmark. Um, Vegas has three goalies. Loren Bressois just got waived, but he's still coming back. I think at some point, Loren Bressois will get NHL games. Um, I would be concerned. Will he be the, cause right now he's been, he's playing enough to, to be in that conversation. I think Logan Thompson, if you're looking, if you, if you don't quite think he can win a Vezina, um, to me, like we just did our voting for the athletic awards, our predictions. I have him as the Calder winner right now. Mm -hmm. um, I know he's not getting the attention that some of the goal scorers are, but he's going to rack up a bunch of wins. This Vegas team is not going anywhere. Like they're like, I don't know if they're going to win the president's trophy, but they're going to be in the playoffs, assuming that they can stay healthy. They've looked so good and he's going to rack up a bunch of wins. So um, any goalie that leads, that leads rookies and wins is usually a finalist. Um, I think, I think Logan Thompson, if you don't like him for, Vezina um, Calder Trophy would be a really good that's a good bet for him. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Just two other guys I want to ask you quickly, just because I'm I'm fascinated by how the odds change based on the first month. So so two guys from up here in Canada that I'm assuming probably would have been high up the list, and and I want to know how much they've they've fallen, and that's Thatcher Demko and Jacob Markstrom. Yeah, uh, pretty pretty they've fallen pretty low. Um, Thatcher Demko is 22 to one right now. He's way down at like the 10th or 11th best odds. Um, I think there's a little less optimism about him just because I think, I think for some reason, whatever Calgary was better last year, people still believe Calgary can, is going to turn it around and be yep. a contender. Um, in Vancouver, it feels like the sky is falling. Um, so I think that's probably why Demko's odds dropped that dramatically. Uh, Markstrom, not quite as far. He's at 18 to one. He's right there above Carter Hart. He's between UC Saros and Carter Hart at like the seventh or eighth best odds. Um, two guys that when I watch them, they aren't playing well right now. Like, they, like sometimes you watch a goalie and, and it's like, he's playing well. The team in front of him is just not, not doing it. Those two, for whatever reason, are not playing well early in the season. It's been kind of strange to me. I like both their games. Um, last year, they were both excellent, but just for whatever reason, they're not seeing the pucks well right now. They, the, they're, they're letting in some goals that they shouldn't. Uh, one more to wrap it up, and that would be Jake Ottinger for me because you know he's a guy that kind of had a little bit of a coming out party last year in that first round against Calgary was just terrific, and we thought, okay, well, I wonder if this guy will be able to carry it over, have a bit of the contractual stuff. Uh, he's come in and he's been pretty good. Uh, you know, he's kind of played, obviously not, I don't think you could, that what he was doing in the playoffs was sustainable, but hey, he's established himself as a legit number one goalie in this league. And I'm, I'm wondering uh, what, what his odds are looking at here. Yeah, I totally agree with you on Ottinger. I love watching him play. That series against Calgary was insane. Like, I can't think of a series where a goalie put on yeah. a better performance in a loss, in a series loss. Like, he was the only reason it went seven games. He was phenomenal. And he, like you said, he's followed it up. Right now, he's actually second in the league. Shesterkin has the best odds at four, at plus 450, four and a half to one. Ottinger's right behind him at 500 to one, or sorry, wow. five to one, plus 500. Um, he has been playing really, really well, and, I, and I'm so impressed. I think he's like, especially when you look at his age, like he's just kind of coming into his own. I think he's going to be one of the best goalies in the league for the next few years. Some stats on Ottinger that really pop out to me, and these are some stats that most people probably 
don't even like may not even know exist. Definitely aren't looking at regularly, but like a lot of goalie stats to me are team stats. They just happen to go on the goalie because he's the guy back there. But two stats that I think you can really boil down to the goalie are rebounds per save. Um, this is the um, every save you make. How often is there a rebound shot after it? Jake Ottinger leads the NHL with the fewest rebounds per save in the entire NHL. And like they keep expected goals, they keep expected rebounds per shot based on like if you're getting shots right up close to you, um, you're, you're not expected to control those rebounds as easily. Whereas if they're from far out, you, they, they expect you to control the rebounds a little better. So there, that stat is a little wonky, I think, because there's only one goalie in the entire NHL with negative rebounds above expected, and it's Jake Ottinger. Like that to me is impressive. Every single other goalie wow. in the league has allowed more rebounds than expected, except for Jake Ottinger. To me, that's a huge reason why he's been so good. Is he just absorbs pucks, he eats them, he kicks them out into the corners. Um, he's making his defenseman's life really easy. Doesn't that suggest that that stat might be broken if everybody in the league other than one guy is uh, right? I think I think early on, maybe maybe some of those expected stats need a big sample size to to, in order to work like like one game. That's that's fair. Yeah, one game can really throw them off. So I think most of these guys have 15 games right now. It maybe not is not quite good. But but I think that the fact that he's got the fewest rebounds per save and the fact that he's the only one negative. We may not be able to read a ton into it, but we can certainly read into it that this guy's doing this better than most guys. Yeah. Unrealis- yeah. Unrealistic expectations in goaltenders. Name a more iconic pair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right it's the peanut butter and jelly of, uh, of sports. <laughs> All right. Hey, listen, Jesse, this is awesome. And uh, uh, hopefully, wh- so when's your next game? You're, you're shooting up again this weekend? Yeah, I think Sunday. Um, okay. I was actually, I, I had a game last night, but I skipped that one just because my neck was really sore. I wasn't sure how it was going to feel to like have the neck protector on. So I, I took a couple days off and I'll, I'm, I think I'm going to play Sunday. Okay. Well, listen, we, we, we wish you uh, the best of luck in that game. You stay safe and uh, we'll, we'll be listening to you Wednesday on the on the pod and we'll be back with you on, uh, on Thursday. Sweet. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Jesse. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right. Great stuff, as always, with uh, Jesse Granger. By the way, our producer, Danielle, reminding us, Sean, after I say, hey, Jesse, we'll get you again next Thursday, reminding us that we don't have a show. We don't have a pod next Thursday because The Athletic, uh, they respect American Thanksgiving, Hmm. Canadian Thanksgiving, not so much. Yeah, I because just assumed I, 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 that we were there was we were like six weeks Cana- late on the uh, the whole Thanksgiving thing. Yeah, <laughs> the, right. the way Americans view Canadian Thanksgiving, they they, they mock it. I mean, we kind of mock it too, but that's okay. We we're yeah. allowed to mock our own Thanksgiving. Yeah, 
but, but uh, it's, there'll, it's, there'll be no pod it is next a, week. So a day off for us and and just random random football on a Thursday afternoon. One of the yep. best best Lions. days of the year. I love it. Who doesn't love the Detroit Lions at one o'clock on a Thursday? Uh, <laughs> they got the Bills this week, though. It's or this year, so that's, that's well, if be a good they one. if that game happens, right? Yeah, well, well, the, that's or, true. What, is that is that Bill? Is that is that no? Well, the, the, it's, no, it's the, they've got Cleveland. the the Buffalo Cleveland this weekend is has got the blizzard coming, but the that that's the thing because Buffalo is supposed to play on Thursday. They can't just bump it a day like they normally would. Right. So uh, it's a bit of a mess. I love blizzard football. Not so much when I got Josh Allen in the uh, in, in the fantasy, fantasy league, but, yeah. but and they're talking about and I saw this term used. I've never heard this before. Th- like thunder snow. Like, there's a potential yeah. for thunder snow. That and doesn't up to sound five great. Five feet. Like yeah. I thought I had misread that. I like five feet of do it. Six play. I want to see. Snow. I, I want to see. Don't play the game. I want to see like just helmets moving like through through snow. I, I just want to see. I want to see Nick Chubb just rush for 800 yards because he's the only guy with the leg strength to power through uh, that uh, that blizzard. Okay, not to turn this into a football pod, but do you remember? No, it's a football back- pod now. That's it's, it. it. This it is. is. Sorry, guys. Yep. Yeah. Um, do you remember back in the day the New England Patriots were playing a game, and this was like before Belichick. This is like in the in mm-hmm. the 80s, I think. And did they bring like a snow clear, like a snow thrower out to clear the path for the kicker? Yeah. Yeah, and that was like they they had to pass a rule about it because there was nothing in the rule book. It was like one of those like you know well, air bud situations. There's nothing in the rule book that says you can't bring a snowblower out for your kicker. And well, they, this, uh, yeah, yeah, that happened. Is the last time the Patriots will ever skirt with the ru- edge of the uh, the rules? Yeah, yeah they they this learned a valuable lesson. lesson. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh man! All right, okay. Now now back to a hockey pod, and uh, we will open up the mailbag here to close out this. Uh, <laughs> of the athletic hockey show uh you can reach us at the athletic hockey show at gmail.com a voicemail too at 845-445-8459 let's rip through some fun emails uh from the listeners jason writes in says uh ian was talking about uh, the fact that he loved the montreal canadians growing up it seems like a lot of hockey writers put that hockey fandom to the side once they get into the field my question is sean how did you not lose your love for the toronto maple leafs and ian why did you not keep your love for the Habs? so this is from this is from Jason. Yeah, I mean it's it's a fair question, and uh, you know this is typically in the in the sports journalism world. That's one of the rules that you you leave your your fandom at the at the door. Uh, I didn't have to because you know, frankly, because I'm not doing journalism is is the short answer here. I'm not I'm not covering a team. I'm not on a beat. I'm not breaking stories. I'm not in a position where I'm you know having to make news judgments and and that sort of thing. If I was doing any of that, then then. No, absolutely. It would it would not make sense for me to um, still be wearing my fandom on my sleeve. Um, look, I, I've always been very clear, though. I I think there. First of all, I think there is value in writing from a fan's perspective, which is something that I do a lot. This is this is a a form of sports writing that you know really Bill Simmons twenty years ago was was uh, the, the the first who who really did this on a big scale and opened some doors for the rest of us. Um, I think there's value there to be able to say. Um, you know, hey, from a fan's perspective, this rule stinks or this, you know, the, the way the NHL does this doesn't work for fans. Um, so I like being able to say that. And then, you know, the the other piece of it, I, I've always said to, to people like I I'm very upfront about where my, uh, you know, my fandom and you can decide if it's if it's affecting my writing, if it's affecting my credibility, if you think I'm being a homer. I've never been the sort of fan even long before I was writing who just saw everything as rosy. Like, you know, there's always that guy, you see it like the beginning of the year, there's yeah. some, you know, first, first, 
going back to football, first football game of the year, you, there's some guy in a Browns jersey. He was like, Super Bowl, baby. And you're like, where is this coming from? <laughs> and I've never been that guy. I, I certainly, you know, I, I think I've told this story before. I, I once uh, was having a conversation with somebody uh, in the Maple Leafs organization um, that, that whose, whose name people would recognize. And, and they said to me, like, hey, aren't you like a Leafs fan? Isn't that part of the shtick? And I was like, yeah, I've been a Leafs my whole life. And they said, so why are you harder on us than just about anybody else out there? And I said, you just answered your own question. I'm, I'm a Leafs fan. So when you guys stink, I'm going to, I'm going to rip you probably more than, than, uh, you might feel you deserve. People are free to decide. Do they think that I'm, you know, am I being a homer? Am I being too harsh? Am I overcorrecting? You know, whatever that's, that's fair. But at least I would hope people respect and understand that, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to disguise where I'm coming from on this stuff. Yeah. And, you know, and, and to, to, to answer the question on, from my perspective and look, I was a huge Habs fan. You knew that like when we oh, went yeah. to university together, yep. I was the guy who loved the Montreal Canadiens, but I, I started covering, well, I started working for the Ottawa Senators in their PR department. And that sort of really uh, sort of stamped out uh, the love for the Habs, but that came more from the players that, you know, you get to know I think when you get into this industry, this is what I want our listeners to understand. I think you end up cheering for people more than teams, if that makes sense. Like, so, I, and I'll give you a great example. I'll tell you one guy that I always pulled for was James Reimer. You know, James, mm-hmm. if you had told me at some point in my life I would be pulling for a Toronto Maple Leafs goalie to do well, I wouldn't have believed it. But James Reimer is just a straight-up good human being and just – just, I don't know. There, there's something about him I always liked. I, you know, so that's how I come across it now. Um, I can't imagine if I, imagine if I kept my Habs fandom, okay? And like last year when Brendan Gallagher goes off on Tim Stutzel and I'm like, yeah, you tell him, Brendan. And then yeah. I have to go into the Ottawa room and and, yeah. and try to, so it, it Ian Mendez work. reporting from Ottawa says it's actually good that uh, PK Subban broke Mark Stone's wrist yeah. in the playoffs. Like Micro this is, he's fine. It on. was fine. Come on. What are you even talking yeah. about? Yeah. I, I, that probably, probably wouldn't have worked. Let, let me tell you who's a bug eyed fat walrus. <laughs> like, no, it, it, it doesn't work, but. But it's true. You bring up a good point. Like that would have been like a, wearing a Detroit Tigers jacket to school in Ontario. Like, like you me. can't do that. In 1987, like, on, man. <laughs> Get myself a Bill Madlock jersey. <laughs> Roll in. Hey guys, what's going on? Let's play some foot hockey. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's keep rolling here. Kieran writes in and says uh, a simple Google search uncovers that 12 goalies have scored a total of 15 goals in the history of the NHL. I think. That stat is missing a name. Uh, I have followed the Ottawa Senators for as long as I can remember. I have a distinct memory of Craig Anderson scoring a goal. I'd love it if you guys could dive into this. Maybe I'm misremembering, but I feel like Craig Anderson was the last player to touch a puck, and then there was a puck scored into uh, their own net. Uh, I don't know why. Am I crazy? This is from Kieran. So. Two things. First of all, you 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 did some research on this. I, do, so. I, I did dig around, and I couldn't I couldn't find any reference to, uh, you know, own goals with the the Senators. There was one with Dallas, but that was only a couple of years ago, and it, and it wasn't a, a goalie situation. Damian Rhodes obviously is on the list of guys who have scored uh, goals in that situation. He was a yes. Senator at the time, so may, I don't know. Maybe you're thinking that uh, the the reader says you know around 2008. Craig Anderson didn't even. 
arrive in Ottawa until years after that. So I'm I'm stumped on this one, unless somebody else. Uh, uh, I mean, you. No, and listen. I, obviously, I cover. I've covered. I covered all of Craig Anderson's time in Ottawa. I have no, and I have a pretty good memory for these types of things. I have no recollection of this, like at all. So I think you know, Kieran, it's one of those either those fever dreams or you're mistaking it for the Damien Rhodes one or something. I I just I don't think it happened. But hey, if anybody's yeah. um, Cra- listening to Craig this, Craig Anderson and can fill was in the he? Gap. Yeah, he was the the. Goalie who won was you know the San Jose Colorado game the one nothing playoff shutout where yeah. Dan Boyle scores into his own net. Yes, I feel like Craig Anderson may have been in goal for the Avalanche, but I mean that that wasn't uh, that wasn't a goalie goal situation. So I'm unfortunately I'm stumped on this one. Okay, one more here from very avid listener Steve, and uh, Steve says in Saturday's Hall of Fame ceremony before the Vancouver Toronto game, Boria Salming was giving a very moving tribute, but. Amongst the commentary was something submitted from Dave Schultz. Yeah, Dave Schultz, who said, we checked him closely because he was so great, et cetera, et cetera. We checked him? Anybody who saw the Flyers play know that that was a euphemism for physical intimidation, which would inevitably lead to full-out brawls. Does the Hall of Fame or the Toronto Maple Leafs, who probably arranged that tribute, really believe that quoting Dave the Hammer Schultz Boria Salming was praise. Schultz was an embarrassing hockey goon, nothing more. His words are of that of a hockey goon. Again, wouldn't it have been more appropriate, maybe more meaningful and praiseworthy, if it was a Hall of Fame contemporary? Denny Potvin, Brian Trottier, Bobby Orr, Phil Esposito, Jean Rattel, Ken Dryden, etc., etc. Um, maybe I'm still just traumatized by the early 70s flyers where they did the hockey. What do you guys think? Love listening to you guys shoot the breeze about hockey since I'm kind of removed from it all. I live in Switzerland. Ian, you're the consummate host. Sean, the consummate pundit. Many thanks. That comes in from very avid listener, Steve. Is consummate pundit a compliment? I, I, I think so. I'm not. I think it might be. You uh, are the consummate me. pundit. Yeah, I think so. I think so. <laughs> I'm putting that on a business card. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to respectfully disagree with with our, our very avid listener here, or at least defend where I think this was coming from. First of all, I'll defend Dave Schultz. Um, and, and in the same way I defend any enforcer, you know, call them goons if you want. Uh, look, it, it was a job that existed. It was a really tough job and these guys did it. And, uh, uh, you know, Dave Schultz was, uh, you know, he, he, he wasn't, he was obviously an enforcer. He was obviously, uh, you know, one of the, the prototypes of that role, but he wasn't a guy who couldn't play. Um, you know, he, he had some, some skill. Um, so I'll, I'll defend Dave Schultz, but more importantly, the his inclusion in in the the Salming stuff I think was very appropriate because that is an entirely um, a crucial part of of the Boris Salming story is that he comes over in the 1970s if fans are younger if they if they don't know this story Salming comes over he's one of the first Swedish players to come to the National Hockey League he's he's basically the first European trained star to come over and, you know, keep in mind when this is happening, it's the early seventies and we've just had the summit series and, and here comes this, this Swedish player. And we all know the Europeans, we know how they play hockey. They're soft. They don't like the contact. They, you know, they, they, they're these big, tough North Americans. This is a few years before the flyers are going to send the red army home uh, because they're playing too rough for them. So people see these, these Europeans coming over and especially solving because he's, he's got the skill to be a star 
And they go, we're going to run these guys out of the building. We're going to send this guy home. He's going to quit. He's going to, you know, he, 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 he might quit the league, but he's going to quit this game. He's not going to want to come near us. And that was a big part of the, the Boris Salming story was he had to constantly fight through this stuff. A lot of, uh, a lot of hard nosed hockey and a lot of stuff that was went way beyond that cheap stuff, stick work, you know, getting gooned. Um, and he, and he stuck with it. He didn't quit. He didn't go home. He fought back when he needed to. Uh, and he emerged as a superstar despite all of it. And I think it's entirely appropriate to have somebody who was on that side of it say, yeah, we targeted this guy. We went after him. We thought we could drive him out of the league. And we couldn't because, you know, Borea Salming was one of those guys, one of the toughest players of all time, not in the traditional way we think of where, you know, fights and penalty minutes and all of that, but just everything he had to put up with. And, and that's part of uh, you know, what made him so heroic, what made his story so important. If he does quit and go home, you know, who knows what, what that does as far as the, the, the face of what the league looks like in the next decade or so, but he doesn't, he fights through it. And I think that's, that's an entirely appropriate way to tell, uh, a super important part of the Borea Salming NHL story. Yeah. Hey, listen, that's uh, that's well said. And, and it kind of, you know, gives that other, other perspective. And I gotta say, uh, you know, I think it was really moving that, you know, Borea was there and obviously with his condition now unable to kind of communicate yeah. himself and speak. Uh, but to have Daniel and Henrik Sedin and Daniel Alfredson go into the Hall of Fame uh, and, you know, Daniel Alfredson told me he had a chance to spend a, a moment, kind of a private moment in the suite with Borea Salming and just thank him. You know, hey, thank mm -hmm. you for laying the groundwork for people like me to to come and and and, and play. And, 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 you know, Alfie said uh, at the end, Beginning of his career, he played one Swedish elite league game against Borja Salming. And Alf oh, Alfredson wow. said he was on he could not take his eyes off of Salming in the warm. He couldn't believe he was on the same ice surface as the great Borja Salming. So just so people yep. understand what Salming was to Swedish kids, to Forsberg, to Sundin, to Lidstrom, mm -hmm. to Alfredson, like he's God. He is the yep. hockey god in Sweden. And it, it was so moving. It was, it, it's very hard to find moments in sports that are simultaneously heartwarming and heartbreaking. But I think mm -hmm. that's what Salming was on the weekend. It was. And, and, and it was, it was so well done. It was such a great moment. If, if, if you missed it or, you know, you didn't think, well, maybe you saw it go by your timeline and you thought, I'm not, I'm not a Leafs fan. I'm not interested. I do encourage you to check it out. And, and I would also, uh, encourage you to check out, the. Uh, Elliot Friedman in his 32 thoughts column this week had a, uh, you know, where he mentioned the people involved in Toronto in putting this together and getting this to happen. I mean, Boris Salming is, is very ill. I mean, he's, he, people don't know he has ALS. It's, uh, you know, he, he has already lost the ability to speak. It's uh, an extraordinarily difficult time for him and his family. It, it, you know, you don't just snap your fingers and, and he's there. Uh, and it was, uh, there was there were a lot of moving parts in in making this happen for him and and for you know for everyone else and the fans and and the the alumni uh, and Elliot you know named some of the names that were involved in that and they they deserve some credit. A lot of times, I, as a Leaf fan, a lot of times we we sort of say that the Leafs aren't really great at the pageantry and the ceremonies in the same way that the Canadians are. They nailed this one absolutely out of the park. Ten out of ten, perfect job uh, by everyone involved. All right, let's wrap it up with a little This Week in, in Hockey History. i got a couple of uh, real quick ones here. So, this week in 1973, Sean, Bobby Orr becomes the first defenseman in NHL history to collect seven points in an NHL game. And I thought to myself, well, how many defensemen have gotten seven points in a game? And the answer is three total. 
So Bobby yeah. Orr is one. Do you know the other two? Oh man, I I uh, it's it's a guy on the Flyers has yes. the record with eight points, and it's not a big name, and it's like a Tom something. Yeah, Tom Bladen. Okay, uh, uh, yes, Bladen, and Bladen, he's got uh, eight. Yeah, he had the eight point game, which I I don't think it's it's never been broken. Um, did it's uh, been tied? It's been tied. Paul Coffey, I would assume. There you go. Okay. Okay. So, but yeah, no, it's one of those great like uh, I, I have this uh, this running gag where anytime you see a list of you know record holders or whatever in the NHL, there's always one name that stands out. I call it the stat spoiler, where it's always like Gretzky, Lemieux, and then like some re- you know Tom Blavlovsky, Marcel yeah. Dion, and you're like, wait, who's that guy? And it, this is a classic example because it was, uh, uh, and I think he also. If I'm not mistaken, may from that same game hold a record for plus minus uh, by a defenseman. Uh, yeah, he, he was a uh, uh, in that game. Tom Tom. Blayton I want to say was a, a they were 10. playing the Cleveland Barons. Yeah, okay, yeah. so that that no, might no, they, be they, the they record. They won eleven of, to one, and he yeah. he had eight points. Okay, so yeah. here's the thing that I thought's interesting. It's like, wow, only three defensemen have ever had seven points in a game. I was like, what if I took the number down to six? Like, what what okay. would that number look like? So now it's an explosion. So that's now happened 24 different times in NHL history. A guy has six points again in a game. Uh-huh. Okay. You want to talk about stat spoilers? I mean, Tom Tom Bladen was uh, Bladen was mm-hmm. one. The following guys I never would have guessed would have had six points in an NHL game. Okay, this all is right. not all of them, but this is the surprising ones. Kevin Lowe, hmm. six points in a game. I mean, you know. Sheldon secondary Surrey. assist, probably. Sheldon Surrey. Okay. Sheldon Surrey, six points in a game. Glenn Wesley. All right. Six yeah. points in a game. Uh, and then there was one, uh, Doug Crossman, six points. Good in old a Doug game. Crossman. He's yeah. he's a classic because he was, you know, the the his claim to fame, other than maybe the six points, was he was on the 87 World Cup team. Yeah. Uh, the Canada, and and in fact, yeah, he's, he's yeah. the guy that is out there after Mario's famous goal. Six five, so you know there's a minute and a half left, and Mike Keenan puts Doug Crossman out there as one of the blue liners to to go kill off the end of that game. Yeah. Anyway, so I thought I thought it was interesting that they, uh, those are the guys that got six points a game. Okay. Last wow. thing to wrap it up, we take you back to this week in 1932, November 1932, November 17th to be exact. Uh, the Detroit Red Wings travel to the old Montreal Forum to take on the Canadians. They show up to start the game, Sean. And uh, they realize both teams are wearing red jerseys that are pretty much the identical uh, shade or hue of red. So Detroit is then forced by the officials to put on white pullovers. I don't even know what these would have looked like. I tried to find a picture. Uh, The game goes to overtime. Montreal wins 1-0. How did this happen? Like how, like, and, and I guess my question is, would the Habs, as a home team, not have had white jerseys they could have worn? You, this is what I want to know. You would have thought. I, I don't know. I mean, 1932. I mean, the, the, the NHL, for the first 25 years, is barely even a league. Like, it's it's a professional league in the sense that people are getting paid, but it's not a professionally run league. You could argue the NHL wasn't a professionally run league for a long time after that. I, I'm wondering, like, is it possible that just – both teams like that was just their their uniform color that they uh like I when did the Red Wings become the Red Wings and switch to that the year. red jerseys? Was it was that year? Okay. Apparently and it was that year. And then after yeah. this, they decided to issue white jerseys as well. 
Yeah, I, I could see but, because it's it's their first year. It's November, and back then the, the schedule was condensed, so it's probably their first game. I it, could literally see it being that like both teams show up, and it's only at that moment they realize that their uniforms are the same color, and they've got to figure something out. Because you know back then it wasn't like home and away uniforms necessarily for for every team, and you probably had most of the other combinations. Uh, you know, obviously the the. You, the Leafs are wearing blue, so the blue and the red, that works fine. And you don't have to worry about TV or anything like that. Um, it was probably enough of a difference. And then they show up and I, you could just picture them, right? Like looking at each other across the ice in the warm-up going, but, we might have a problem here. See, I want to know, I again, and, and we're both pretty good with our hockey history, but there's some little kind of nuances that maybe we don't know. Like, was there always warm-up? Like, did both teams come out for a warm-up at the same time in 1932? Is that, you know what? Is that that's, when they noticed it? Yeah, that's another or good question. was or it when they, they both came out to start the game? Lining up for and the face-off. And where did they get these and, white? Like, did, did the referee be like, hey, somebody's got to run to the Bay, Hudson's Bay Company. I feel like, you know. Get yeah, us a white, some, if, get us some 19, white pullovers. If 1930s have taught me anything, it's that everyone had, like, the white undershirt. So, you know, maybe that's that's what they were. Maybe they were just, like, remember in gym class, they break out the pennies? You'd be oh like, oh, God. no, don't, don't, please don't stick me with, oh, with one of those I was, things. I was more of a penny. I, I liked pennies. I never liked when they were like, all right, we're going to do shirts versus skins. I'm oh, like, yeah, oh, that God. was not good. Please That's not shirts. good for guys like us. I need, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I need to be shirts for the love for of God. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, pennies. I, uh, I haven't, those are, those are the words that you don't hear once you leave the, uh, the school system. You wouldn't think. That no. word is eliminated from your vocabulary, pennies. All right. We're going to leave it there. So I guess, look, we got next week off. Like, we just found out we don't have a show next yeah, week. Yeah, pretty cool. What are we going to do? I know what I'm Watch thankful Lions for. football. Thank you Maybe for your weird Maybe that's the week to launch holidays. the football pod. It might be. Look out, Maze. Yeah. We're coming for you. Yeah, exactly. All right. We'll leave it there. want to thank everybody uh, for joining us. Reminder, yeah, we're not off uh, or we're, we're off uh, next week. So we'll, um, man, I guess our next episode's in December. That seems weird. December. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess it would be. Wow. All right. December 1st. Well, Jeez. December 1st. Okay. That's it. That's it for November. Okay. That's it. See you later. Everybody enjoy the, uh, the, you know, 15 huge trades that will happen in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. That, uh, we'll Coach be firings, trades, that, yeah. and then we're going to come back. It's going to be back. just chaos. Two franchises December. are going to fold. There's going to be a snap <laughs> expansion draft. It's going to be great. Yeah. All right. And if anything happens between now and then, we love to hear from you. Uh, shoot us an email, the athletic hockey show at gmail.com. As I mentioned earlier, the voicemail, you can do that to 845 845- uh, 445 8455. Uh, oh, sorry, 8459. Uh, not, I, I don't want to give the wrong phone number. All it takes is yeah. one digit, some <laughs> random person in Fresno or something yep. is going to get like a. Uh, it's getting weird uh, hey voicemails yelling just, at uh, just weighing in on your uh, Detroit 1932. <laughs> <laughs> just some <laughs> random guy gets a voicemail going, Craig Anderson, uh, that was an exhibition game in uh, 19. What the hell? <laughs> Anyway, all right. If you're not a subscriber with us, uh, join us at theathletic.com slash hockey show. You'll get an annual subscription for a dollar a month. Six months. We've also got a, uh, a YouTube channel uh, going right now. Subscribe at uh, youtube.com slash at the athletic hockey show.